Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. Having looked at the 32 Old Testament Bible characters, uh, the time has come to start to meet 20 characters in the New Testament. And uh, we begin with John the Baptist, who strikes me, Mike, as something of an Old Testament personality. Yes, he very much is, isn't he? I mean, when we meet him there with his camel's hair clothing and eating locusts and honey and out there in the desert and his sort of repent, the end is nigh type of preaching... Uh, He does have very much of an Old Testament feel, doesn't he? And yet there he is, one of the leading characters that introduces the New Testament. And in effect, there's the key to the role of John the Baptist, because he is in some ways the end of the line of Old Testament prophets and the beginning of the new thing. He is that messenger that Malachi, the last prophet of Mm. the Old Testament scriptures, had spoken about that a messenger would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And the Gospels pick up on that prophecy of Malachi and saying, this guy, this John, is it? Now, I just mentioned Malachi. You'll know that Malachi Mm. is the last book of the Old Testament. And then we turn, don't we? We turn one Mm. page, and Mm. most Bibles have got like a blank page, and then it says the New Testament, and away we go and get into the story of John and Jesus. What is really important to remember is as we turn that single page, 440 years have passed by. Oh, wow. 440 years where really God has not been speaking to his people. (laughs) Why? Well, they've stopped listening. And perhaps a solemn warning there that if we keep resisting God and keep saying no, keep not wanting to listen, God eventually says, okay, I'll stop speaking. And that's what he'd done for around 440 years. He had stopped speaking. And that's why John is such a key character, because at last God is speaking again through the last of the Old Testament prophets, but the one who's introducing the new thing that is to come in the one that he's preparing the way for, Jesus. Do we know why, though? Why now? Why after all those 440 years? Why, why this moment in history? It's interesting, in one of Paul's letters, he talks about when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. And a lot had been going on in those 440 years that the Bible tells us nothing about, but it actually prepared the way. A lot had been going on in Israel itself, but also on the international scene, and probably two big things in particular. After the great empires that arise in the Old Testament, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, they'd given way to an empire in the West, Greece. Many listeners will have heard of Alexander the Great, Mm. that great young warrior who built this phenomenal empire stretching from Greece all the way to northern India. And when he died, his empire was divided up between three of his leading generals and The land of Judea found itself a bit like a football kick between one and the other until there was another empire from even further west, Rome, Uh. that, of course, we know was one of the greatest empires the ancient world had ever known. And Rome brought certain things with it. Rome brought 
peace and stability. It was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And we've now got two incredible things that will just be right for the coming of the good news of Jesus. One is a world language, Greek. Everybody could now speak Greek. And suddenly you've got a language and wherever you go in the empire, you can be understood. It really is a little bit like English is today. Wherever you go in the world, you'll find someone who can speak English. And those of us who are English speakers are very grateful for that, aren't we? Saves <laughs> us learning lots of languages. So you've got a language that enables the good news of Jesus to be preached. And you've got safety and roads and the Roman army, which ensures that safety to ensure that the gospel messengers can go anywhere. So, yeah, when the time had fully come, John comes onto the scene to prepare the way for everything that we've looked at in previous episodes. Everything is prepared for and pointed to this moment. Let's look at the circumstances of his birth then. What? was going on? Well, it's interesting. Like many other key characters in the Bible, uh, John's parents couldn't have children. His father, Zachariah, was a priest. His mother, Elizabeth. And we're not told why, but they couldn't have children. And it's interesting, that often happens throughout the Bible story when a significant character is going to come. Hmm. We find that the parents couldn't have children. And even as I was driving to the studio today, I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, maybe there are some listeners who've just been waiting, waiting, waiting for children to come. And I've often found when those children do come, they're very, very special indeed. Mm. So a father who is a priest and his mother, Elizabeth, who just couldn't have children, but who suddenly find God breaking into the lives of this godly couple after all these years of waiting through the angel Gabriel coming and telling them that they're about to have a child who is going to be that messenger that Malachi had promised all those centuries before. It must have been an incredible moment. So the, this wasn't just any old couple, presumably. <laughs> it wasn't any old couple. Um, they might have been old, but they, <laughs> they weren't any old couple. Yes, they were very specially chosen by God. And I think the fact that Zachariah was a priest, he was a go-between, mm -hmm. between a God-given go-between between man and God, and it would be the descendant of this priest who would become the new go-between, the one who would be the go-between between the old covenant and the one who would bring the new. So this was a very, very special moment. So this, this older couple, they'd been, what, praying, presumably, for, for a son uh, all their lives. Well, presumably, though the story doesn't actually tell us that as such, but it looks like they had been praying because the angel Gabriel comes along. Gabriel is one of those big, big, powerful angels that uh, is marked out in the New Testament. He only appears, and in the Old Testament, um, he only appears at, at very, very special times. And the little clue that we get to the fact that they had been praying is that the angel Gabriel comes to them and says to Zachariah, now we just need to set the setting, Zachariah has gone in 
to burn the incense, we're told. Now, that was on the incense table in front of the Holy of Holies. This was an incredibly privileged job. By New Testament times, there were far too many priests to actually all have a job each. So literally what they had to do was to draw lots to see who would get to do which job. And the privilege of this burning the incense might only happen once or twice for some priests, never for others. So in, the, this, what, in their lifetime? In their whole lifetime, oh. because there were just too many priests for the functions available. So this was an incredible moment. So as Zachariah goes into the temple, he's already going in full of sort of, oh, and God, I can't believe this special moment. But, of course, he's going to discover it's an even more special moment than he thought, because while he's there in the sanctuary, uh, Luke chapter 1 tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right-hand side of the altar, and Zachariah is overwhelmed. Now, whenever Gabriel appears, he's always a pretty fearsome character. He, he must have been incredibly overwhelming. And, and the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. So there's the insight that it looks like they had been praying for many years. We're not told, of course, it could have been a prayer he offered at that mm. moment, at that special moment. But it looks like, doesn't it, that they'd been longing for this and mm. says, God heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to give you, and it's interesting now, a son. So he specifies mm. it's going to be a boy, not a girl. Mm. And you're to name him. John. Now, that's really unusual because sons were normally named after their fathers. And <laughs> this son is going to bring great joy and gladness to you. Many people are going to rejoice at his birth. And it says he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And then he sets a little condition. He says, but he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he's going to turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He's going to be a man with the Spirit, and he's going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers, just as it had been prophesied by Malachi about this messenger who would come before the Lord himself came. So this must have been overwhelming I was for say, Zechariah. Zechariah would have been familiar with the prophecy of Malachi then. Absolutely. And wondered when that day would come. And now he's being told by an angel that the day is coming and it will be his own son. Yes, and he says, glory to God, hallelujah, I believe this. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he does, I suspect, what most of us would do. And he says, how can I be sure that this will happen because I'm an old man now and my wife's also well on in years. He's very discreet there how he puts that, <laughs> isn't he? And, uh, well, the angel rebukes him, really, because he says, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. It's almost like, a, how dare you question mm. what I have brought to you from the very throne of heaven. So now... Zachariah, I'm not going to take away from you what God has promised, but because you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak 
until the child is born. Mm, that's a big shock, to say the least, because that's his role to speak. Exactly. You said he's this go-between role, so so he's not he's not able to speak. And, and w- one of the first things he would have spoken, by the way, when he came out of the temple, it was traditional for the priest then to come out. And if you read the gospel, it says all the crowd were gathered there. Mm-hmm. Well, they were gathered there not because they knew an angel had come. They were gathered there like they normally would be. And normally at that point, the, the priest would come out and pronounce the Aaronic blessing that So they would have been waiting for this special blessing. And here's this guy who comes out and sort of, I don't know how we do this on radio, but (laughs) miming and sort of pointing to his mouth and perhaps trying to Mm. describe. Nothing would come out. Nothing would come out at all. What an unusual situation. Now, as time goes on then, (laughs) obviously John John is born, um, but uh, what are the circumstances of, of, of that? Well, we're not told a lot about it. We're simply told that when his time of service was over, they normally did a week at a time, that he went home. And Luke's gospel simply says, soon after that, um, Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Remember, she's an older lady. She perhaps needed a little bit more rest than a, a young one would have done. And she is incredibly overjoyed, of course, that this child they've been longing for for so long is now here. My wife and I waited five years for our first child. And anyone who's waited for a child to come along will know the incredible, well, on the one hand, the joy that you've got the child, and on the other hand, almost the anxiety that, is it going to be okay? Will you be able to carry it to term? And so there they are, quietly, seeing one another through this pregnancy. And reflecting, presumably, on the destiny, if you like, the purpose that there's someone's going to have. Because it's one thing looking forward to the birth of a child. It's another thing having some sense of what that life is going to be like. Absolutely. I, I don't know what you do with that. I mean, how do you process that? Clearly, I'm sure they would have prayed about it, but how do you process the sort of the humanness of... Uh, of what a, a mother goes through while she's carrying a child and you know perhaps the morning sickness and the the going off tomatoes or whatever it might be and the sort of real humanness of a human baby long to and yet this incredible revelation that god has given you that this is not this is not just a special child this is an incredibly special child this is the child that prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. And, you know, when we read those verses, often I think we as Christians talk about, oh, yes, John the Baptist would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, and we think prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. But that's not what the Old Testament meant at all. The text says that he would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord in capital letters in most of our English Bibles, the Hebrew Yahweh, the the Lord God, the great I Am. This is the baby who would grow up to prepare for the coming of God himself into the world. Now, how on earth do parents process that Mm. over these nine months of waiting? Yes, indeed. John John is born, obviously. (laughs) Then um, what happens to Zechariah and his lack of speech? It does come back, we'll be pleased to know. 
He does get it. Oh, by the way, we perhaps just need to include that Mary, the mother of Jesus. Also, we won't say too much about that because we're going to look at her in another episode. But during this pregnancy, Mary comes along to greet Elizabeth because she too has been told by Gabriel that she's going to be pregnant. And when she's doubtful, she's told to go and see Elizabeth, her cousin, who is also pregnant. And we'll leave that for another occasion, but we yeah. do just need to slip that in. So what happens to um, the, his father? Well, when it comes to the babies uh, born, they go through the usual processes there. And then once the baby's born, when he's eight days old as a good Jewish baby, he has to be uh, circumcised and all the neighbours come along for the circumcision ceremony. And they all good-heartedly want to name him what? Zachariah, because that's what you do. You name the son after the father. And uh, Elizabeth said, because obviously Zachariah has been able to communicate this to her, no, his name is John. And they said, what do you mean his name is John? There's nobody in your family by that name of John. We can't call him John. And then they think, silly woman, let's go and ask the man himself. So they go to Zachariah and say, come on, what, what is this boy's name? We know it's Zachariah, isn't it? And he actually has to sort of gesture to them and eventually gives up and gets asked for a, a writing tablet. And it says, to everyone's surprise, he wrote... His name is John. And the gospel says that instantly Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. Isn't that interesting? At the moment of the declaration of his faith, when he now said yes to what the angel had said, at that moment God loses his tongue. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is praise to God and the whole neighbourhood is completely overwhelmed. Mm. They, they sense something special is going on here. And the gospel tells us that they said to one another, what will this child turn out to be? Mm. They didn't know, but they sensed there was something going on here. And, and then Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he suddenly begins to, to come out with a prophecy that, that praises God, uh, the God who has been at work, and it's interesting, it goes back all the way to Abraham. He recognises that what is happening here is part of that old story that we've been working through over our previous episodes, the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes and their story of how they came into the land and lost that land but came back to the land and from that people. A Messiah came that this boy was preparing the way for. And actually, do we know much about his boyhood or actually do we know much more about his adult life? We really don't know an awful lot about John. He sort of uh, disappears off the scene and the gospel story then goes on to tell us the story of the one that he's preparing the way for, the story of Jesus. But then by the time we get to, say, Luke chapter 3, um, John has now clearly grown up and his ministry has begun. Uh, Herod the Great is dead and his sons have taken over the, the divided realm. Mm -hmm. And John, we're told in Luke chapter 3, that it was 
from that time on that he started to declare God's message that came to him. It says that he went from place to place on both sides of the River Jordan, preaching that people should be baptised to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, Jews were very familiar with ritual washings. The temple area was surrounded with many mikvot, with ritual baths where they went. But, but here was something different. This was, this was not just a ritual washing, a ritual cleansing. John's baptism, John's immersing them in the River Jordan was a way of saying, you need to die to your old life and stop living how you used to live. And you need to repent of your sins. What? Me? But, but, but I'm a good Jew. Yes, you good Jews, you too need to repent of your sins. And all these crowds start coming and gathering to him. Uh, even some of the religious leaders, um, the Pharisees, who he uh, welcomes with that lovely expression, you brood of vipers, <laughs> you, you snake pit, you who think you're okay and think that you're safe. And his challenge to everyone, whether it's ordinary people or religious leader, is change the way you live and get ready. Mm. That's the heart of his message. Change and get ready. Why? He's got this really interesting picture. He says, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised. Now, for a Jew, that was really challenging. They believed in the axe of God's judgment. But, of course, the axe of God's judgment was for all the dirty Gentiles, not not for us. We're we're good Jews. We're God's people. This is, this is a, an axe like you chop down a tree. An axe like you chop down a tree. Yeah, and that axe is poised to cut you guys down. John says, unless you change, because every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be chopped down. He wasn't very diplomatic. Oh, I think he missed 101 diplomacy in school. That was one thing for sure. Um, this is why he fits in so much with what you said earlier, Old Testament prophet in style, because as we know, many of the Old Testament prophets were extremely straight in the ways that they challenged people with some really, really strong language at times. So he does fit into that mould, and I think... I think it comes not because, you know, he just didn't have any airs and graces. It came because of the passion that was in his heart that it's here, it's time. You know, God's given us long enough. We've had 440 years of silence and now is the moment a Messiah is about to appear. Come on, change. Mm. I was going to say, it's almost as if uh, rather than speaking his own mind, he's speaking God's mind. Very much so. He really did believe that he was bringing prophetic from the Lord. This wasn't, this wasn't a, a leading article in today's paper giving an opinion. He was a prophet of the Lord and was bringing God's word to God's own people that just the name of I am God's people wasn't enough. That name has to be matched by a changed lifestyle, a root and branch change of lifestyle that really had to be seen in your life as a way of preparing for the one who was coming. And that one who was coming, you've explained, was Jesus. He was born just a few months after John. And now, as 
an adult comes to the the river, the River Jordan, where John is baptizing all these people and and faces John face to face. Yeah, and I mean John clearly knew Jesus. They they were family, they had grown up together. They must have shared stories, so he doesn't come out of the blue. But when Jesus comes to the River Jordan, it says, and Jesus also came to the River Jordan to ask to be baptized by John. And John looks at him and says, you know, I need to be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, let it be so for now, for it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. That simply means it's important that we do what is right. And of course, in getting baptized, Jesus was identifying not just with Israel, but with sinful humanity, whose sins he would take to the cross. And so John yields and says, okay, I'll do it. And of course, the voice from heaven, the dove comes down, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And the thing I love about John is he's, he's always a man who never draws the focus to him. He, he lives out that prophetic word that his role was to be one who pointed to someone else, one who pointed to Jesus. And even here at the baptism, he's wanting it to be about Jesus pointing to him. That must have been an incredible moment for him. Sort of playing second fiddle. Very much so. And it's interesting, there are a number of characters in the Bible uh, who will do this. Aaron with Moses, Barnabas with Paul. And yet these second fiddle players will be so incredibly important. And just like in music, the, the music and the movement will be so much the poorer had they not faithfully done their task. We mentioned that he wasn't very diplomatic. Um, what was it that he said about Herod Antipas, who was sort yes. of in charge at the time? Yes, he wasn't diplomatic at all, was he? Like we've said, you know, he won over many ordinary Jews, but offended, yes, the religious leaders, um, but also Herod. He'd opposed Herod's um, marriage. And because of that, he found himself uh, in real trouble. Um, who was he married to, Herod? Well, He'd rebuked Herod Antipas. So when Herod the Great died, his empire, his kingdom rather, was uh, split up between his sons. And Herod Antipas, one of those sons, was the ruler of uh, Galilee and Perea. And he'd accused him of marrying his brother's wife. He challenged him with this. Now, the brother uh, was dead, um, but this was forbidden in Jewish law. And so he had challenged him quite openly with sin. So, I mean, there you are challenging the king himself with sin. And because of this, uh, Herod threw him in jail. So there's John after all that he'd done to prepare the way in prison. Did he wonder whether the message that he had was was the right message? Yes, he, he did, because when you think about it, you know, if... If you've waited all this time and here is this one you believe is the one and you've prepared the way and now you've got thrown in jail for doing the job that you think you should do and you are convinced he is the one and yet why isn't the one doing the stuff that you'd always expected he would do? And we'll see this again and again in, in coming episodes how the Jews of Jesus' time were anticipating the coming of a Messiah, but it was a Messiah 
who would come with a sword, not with a cross. He's a Messiah who would raise an army and, and cleanse the holy land of these terrible Gentiles, get rid of the Romans. And yet so much of what Jesus was doing, there was a, there was a lot that seemed right, like preaching good news and healing the sick and cleansing lepers. And yet, why wasn't he dealing with these Romans? And so while he is in jail, John, in fact, sends two of his own disciples to Jesus with a question and, and says to him, are you really the one who was to come or should we expect another? And it's like he's, it, there's just a little, oh, little sigh in his heart because it's not at all working out. Bearing in mind that he was family, as you said, and he'd been there at the baptism and it all was pointing in the right direction. And yet it didn't look like it was working out right. As so often happens with God, we hear God say something and then it doesn't look like it's working out like we think it should. So he thought he sort of perhaps had overstepped the mark, but especially with this uh, criticism of, 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 of the, uh, the, the family in charge. Exactly. And it's only... I think when Jesus sends back the reply, and it's interesting, although he says, are you the one? Jesus sends back the answer, not yes. He simply says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the dumb are speaking, the lepers are being cleansed, people are being freed. In other words, all the things that Messiah was expected to do are being done, and blessed is he who does not stumble because of me, John. So he was saying to him, yes, but I'm still looking for faith from you, John, to believe this. And, of course, John would end his life in that jail because of his ongoing opposition. There's that famous story, isn't there, of Salome, who danced before Herod, her very sensuous dance, and... He loved her dancing and said, come on, I'll give you whatever you ask me if you'll just give me one of your dancers. And he'd thrown a big party and all the big wigs were there. And Salome takes this as the moment and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a serving platter. And of course, Herod can't lose face. And so he has John executed and the head brought. And at one level, you think, what a tragic ending for this guy who seemed to start with such promise. There is head on a platter, not speaking, the prophet not speaking. And yet this man had done all that God had asked him to do and commissioned him to do. He had indeed prepared the way for the coming of Jesus, who even now as he was there in jail, was starting his own ministry and beginning to share that good news that John had prepared for. And as you reflect on the life of John and the example that he set, what particularly strikes you? I think probably two things. One is being courageous to speak out what you believe and not being silenced by the crowd. There is so much pressure to do that in the West, not in the way it might have been for John thrown in jail, at least not yet, but huge pressure upon Christians to shut up and don't bring your viewpoint. And John says, listen, don't shut up, speak out, keep preparing the way. And the second thing is something we touched on earlier that, that John really did play second fiddle in musical terms, that he was prepared to take the second place, wasn't always wanting the first place for himself. And I think the challenge John leaves me with is, Mike, 
Get on with what I've given you to do. Don't long for what David is doing. Get on with what you are called to do. And if you will get on with what you are called to do, I will do some amazing things through you, just like I did through John. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.